Over the next two weeks, we will be playing a chapter from my book, 3D Retirement Income. It's chapter 9, The Four Horsemen. If you are a very long-term listener, you will remember us talking about The Four Horsemen around this time last year. We've updated it quite a bit for including it in the book and made it better, and it's one of those lessons that's worth repeating each year. So I encourage you to listen, and if you are new to the podcast, this is absolutely essential if you want to be a good investor. Again, this will be chapter 9 of the book, and we will be playing it in two parts this week and next week, so stay tuned for that next week as well. Without further ado, we'll jump right into the audio for The Four Horsemen, Chapter 9 of 3D Retirement Income. Chapter 9, The Four Horsemen, The Behavioral Mistakes That Destroy Us. We have met the enemy, and he is us, Walt Kelly. In the last chapter, we saw that over 30 years, the annualized investment returns the average investor takes home have been about half of the investments the investor invests in. This disparity results in a real-world difference in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. We haven't yet seen why that difference is so significant. I posited that it is our behavior that is responsible. Investments perform very well when left alone. Only when we insert an investor do the returns dwindle. We make four mistakes as investors, costing us potentially millions of dollars over our lifetime. They are chasing returns, changing your investment strategy often to try and capture the highest possible returns. The result is often the opposite. Poor diversification. There are two forms, under-diversification, all your eggs in one basket, and over-diversification, your eggs in too many baskets. Market timing. Attempting to be in the market only when it's going up and getting out before it goes down. Panic. A period of euphoric investment followed by selling your equities when they are down, turning a temporary decline into a permanent loss. These four mistakes are responsible for most of our abysmal returns. We will cover them in depth, and in the following chapters, we will learn how to beat them. If the average equity investor had invested $100,000 30 years ago, they would have ended up with $450,000. The S&P 500 would have turned that $100,000 into $2 million. That is an equity investor. The returns aren't bad because they are heavily invested in cash, CDs, or bonds, which get lower long-term returns. They are invested in equities, either directly or through mutual funds and exchange-traded funds. The equities did fine. Great, even. Any other equity index over that time would have returned similar results. For example... Investing in a fund that tracked the Wilshire 5000 index would have ended out at just over $2.3 million. It's not the investments. It is the investors that performed poorly. Now, few of us would call ourselves average, and even fewer would admit to being below average. But we cannot all be above average either. We do not belong to the fictional town of Lake Wobegon where all the children are above average. Most of us are indeed average, plus or minus a standard deviation. But for now, let's assume that you are 50% above average. That would mean that you have gotten 7.5% annualized over 30 years, not the 5% that the average equity investor got. And over 30 years, you would have turned $100,000 into almost $1 million. Okay, that's much better. 
but you are still short another million dollars plus over what the index has received. Even assuming your returns are 150% of your peers' returns, these four mistakes still cost you wealth. What are these mistakes? How are they this devastating? Let's look at them in turn. The first horseman, chasing returns. The grass is always greener in another investment. This horseman is probably the most common and the hardest to avoid over a 30 to 60 year investing lifetime. Whether you are starting to fund your 401k for the first time with 60 years ahead of you, are entering retirement with only 30 years to go, or feel like your long term may only be 5 years, without the two defenses you will fall to this one many times. What is chasing returns? Chasing returns occurs when you change your investments based on short-term investment track records or projections. Short-term track record. Have you ever done this? You're reviewing your 401k statement. You see that your investments returns over the last 1, 3, 5, and 10 years. Then you see some of the returns of the other funds available to you. And some of them have been better than yours. You switch some of your funds to those with higher returns based on their recent track record. Or perhaps you have a financial professional who has instructed you to move from this fund into that fund because it has been outperforming over the last X years. Here's the problem with investing based on track record. There is no evidence for the persistence of performance. There is no evidence for the persistence of performance. A fund outperforming an index over a period does not mean it will continue going forward. If a fund has been performing over its trend line returns, it may be more likely that it will soon dip below the trend line to maintain the average. Therefore, if you move money into a recently outperforming fund, the chances are good that you are doing so precisely before a period of underperformance. It's like driving in stop-and-go traffic. You're stuck in the right lane during rush hour, and it's barely moving. However, the left lane seems to be moving fine. You flip on your signal and cut into the left lane in front of a semi-truck. Then, the left lane pulls to a stop, and the lane you just left begins to move forward. You merge back over, behind a few vehicles that you were in front of before, only to have that lane stop again, and the left lane takes off. As you play the merge game, you try and identify a particular vehicle to see if you're winning. I was behind that pink truck, and now I'm ahead. Oh shoot, now I'm four cars back. Now more. I lost it. Okay, that van. That's the one I'll track now. And it's gone. I should stop doing this. Before long, you realize you would have gone farther, faster if you had simply stayed in one lane than continually trying to be in the fastest lane. Chasing returns based on track record, hey, that lane has been moving faster than my lane, is almost always a surefire way to get the worst returns. Projections. The other way we chase returns is not based on what has happened, but on what we think will happen. Perhaps we've read an article from The Motley Fool, watched a few YouTube videos, or heard of an opportunity to catch the next wave. We move some of our investments into the new sector or fund or style in hopes of getting that higher return before it happens. We're chasing in advance instead of chasing in arrears. Projecting returns seldom works, and the more often you try it, the more often you are wrong. It has been shown repeatedly that the vast majority of professionals, prognosticators, and pundits are wrong or will be so. Harvard economist John Kenneth Galbraith said it well, the only function of economic forecasting is to make astrology look respectable. You have as good a chance of investing based on your horoscope as you do based on the Motley Fool. Investing based on predictions or headlines does not work. The people who publish these predictions have nothing to lose. If they are correct, they get some time in the sun. 
If they are wrong, so what? People won't even remember their predictions. But you will remember. You will be reminded by the terrible returns you got following their advice. Do not invest based on projections. It will not work out. In the classic and off-sided work, A Random Walk Down Wall Street, Burton Malkiel writes, He who looks back at the predictions of stock market gurus dies of remorse. That doesn't mean you should never change your investments. If you're heavy in fixed income or in sectors that have always been bad, then you should establish a plan and change your investments to fit that plan. Make sure you're on the right road, but changing lanes beyond that isn't going to get you there any faster. Chasing returns is probably the hardest to resist. Getting average returns just doesn't seem right to us. Surely we are above average, and shouldn't our returns reflect our superior status? We chase better ones. We are encouraged to chase returns all the time. Repeatedly, over 60 investing years, sources will pull us into chasing returns, only to lose out. To be a successful investor, you must follow investment strategies for decades, not years. The difficulty of sticking to one strategy for decades is why chasing returns is the first horseman. It is number one in people succumbing to it. You can beat it, and we will get to that by the end of the book. Let's first look at the rest of the horsemen. The second horseman, poor diversification. All your eggs in one or too many baskets. This horseman comes wielding two swords of death to the investor, under-diversification and over-diversification. Under-diversification. You've heard that you should diversify your investments. Diversify, diversify, diversify. It is excellent advice, and most people use it as a defense against the first sword, under-diversification. The threat comes when we have all or most of our eggs in one basket. What happens when the nest falls out of the tree? You see this a lot with company stock of one's employer when they've worked there for many years. Incentives have encouraged employees to own company stock, and over their careers they've amassed a large portion. A large segment in company stock is hazardous because not only is their earned income tied to the company's success, so is their life savings. The company going down will brutally destroy them. You don't think it can happen? Tell that to all the employees who worked for and had large stock positions in WorldCom, Enron, Circuit City, Compact Computers, Blockbuster, and many more. You also see under-diversification when someone bought into a company like Apple or Amazon when it was low, and now it makes up a significant holding. It has done so well they can't see themselves ever parting with it or divesting any of it. Under-diversification also happens when someone holds a disproportionate amount of money in one sector or style. Perhaps they have 80% of their money invested in the tech sector. This under-diversification devastated thousands during the tech bubble crash from 2000 to 2002. It wasn't merely that they owned dot-com companies that went bust. It is that they owned too much of them. Do you have a lot of your money in one company or fund? How much is too much? Here's what you should ask yourself. Would you be financially okay if this company or specialty fund went to zero? Could you and your goals survive if you lost it all? If the answer is no, you are under-diversified and need to spread out that money. Even if it means you may lose out on future outperformance by divesting some of your Amazon or company stock, you still must diversify and diversify before it's too late. But I'm just going to hold on to it for a little bit longer. I've been making a killing on it. Famous last words. Diversify. Now. As Nick Murray puts it, diversifying means you never own enough of something to make a killing on it or get killed by it. 
you may still be thinking, I have time. The company and sector have been doing so well. Everything else pales in comparison. Plus, there will be tax consequences if we capture the gains and other considerations. I need to think this through. I can't just sell the position. Surely isn't that big of a deal. I've never been harmed before. Under-diversification isn't harmful until it's outright lethal. You will know when that happens, and it will be too late. Over-diversification. The other sword this horseman wields is the opposite of the first. It's having too much diversification. I see this a lot in my practice when reviewing a potential client's statements. Their IRA will have 18 different positions with no rhyme or reason for any of them. I'll ask the client what the strategy is or the reason for all of these positions. If they picked it themselves, the answer is typically something to the effect of, I just thought I should diversify it, so I picked a whole bunch of funds. If a financial representative recommended it, they will simply shrug their shoulders. I have no idea. Perhaps out of their 18 funds, they have most of the money in growth, large cap, technology, and blue chip funds. That sounds like good diversification, right? We look under the hood and see that the top five holdings of all four funds are Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, and Tesla. Oh, by the way, that's the same top five as the S&P 500 as of this writing. It's pseudo-diversification. It looks good because you have a wide variety of funds and investments. In reality, you have a lot of the same companies in different packages. Over-diversification brings two problems, redundancy and abandonment. Over-diversified portfolios bring redundancy in holdings, increasing fees, and bringing down overall returns on the same underlying companies. Over-diversified portfolios also may increase the investor's likelihood of abandoning the strategy because of horsemen 1, 3, or 4. If you don't understand why you have all these different funds and the strategy behind owning each and every one, you will not stick with them when facing another horseman. Beyond the cons, there is no good reason to have an overly diversified portfolio. It provides no benefit. Examine your portfolios. Do you own enough of any one thing to be killed by it? Do you own so many things that you have no idea why they're there? The second horseman may kill you. We'll be back next week with part two of this chapter on the second two horsemen. If you enjoyed that, you would love being part of our free membership community. It's called Retire Membership, and it has a host of benefits all for free. For example, you can always buy my book, 3D Retirement Income, on Amazon. But if you join us at Retire Membership, we will send you either a hard copy or paperback for free, provide the ebook and the audiobook so that you can listen to it if you don't have time to read it. In addition to that, we'll also provide you with a bunch of content that you can't get anywhere else. For example, we have our quarterly retire mentorship magazine which comes out quarterly and has no ads whatsoever. It's just timely content to help you stay the course. We also have workbooks for our free online workshop to help you get the most out of those, flowcharts to help you make better decisions, and a weekly email to provide timely content that you can unsubscribe from at any time. We never ask for any payment information, and we never share your information with anyone else. We just want to provide timely content and help you stay the course to retire successfully and stay successfully retired. There's no reason to wait, so join us now at retiremembership.com, where you can click in the link in the description, and it'll go right there. We can't wait to see you in the community. Cheers. This podcast is educational only and is not investment, tax, or legal advice.